Welcome to In Studio from Simply Timeless. I'm Jay Daniels. Earlier this year, I had the great pleasure of chatting with our friend Johnny Summers. His most recent release as a vocalist and trumpeter is a tribute to the music of Chet Baker, the album Baker's Dozen. We chat about Chet's music and how it's influenced Johnny's own style, but we dig deeper into one crucial element of musical performance, a personal connection with the audience. Our story begins in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where Johnny tells us a little bit about his family. Yeah, I have a sister. I was very quiet, uh, contemplative, and I loved having fun, and I loved uh, music. From the time I was you know, three, I was begging for piano lessons. My grandfather, uh, my mom's father, whom I never met, was he passed before I was born, but he was a music aficionado, and he bought uh, Steinway uh, Concert Upright, they called it, uh, brand new in 1949, I think, and had it shipped up. And that was in our house. And my, my mom had inherited that. And I just begged to play it. I loved music. I loved music. And so I started piano lessons sometime just before I was four. Um, and I'm sure I was terrible. But I loved music. And I, I stayed with it. My sister loved to dance. She was in dance lessons and singing. My dad loved music. He loved Frank Sinatra. He loved I think he loved the, he loved Johnny Cash. I think he loved the, the real speaking type singers, you know? Um, and he liked soulful singers and he loved Chet Baker. Um, he got into Chet later, I think through me when I was in university, but he, um, he loved that music. And my mom absolutely loves music of all kinds. She loves soul music and gospel music and jazz music. Um, but I actually came to listening, started listening to jazz when I was, probably in grade five or six and a friend of mine who was a couple years older than me and he was a guy who lived a couple doors down he was really into jazz and uh literature and i was starting to get into literature so i was starting to read truman capote and and um some of the russian lit and i was getting really into that and i loved music and i've been listening to tons of motown growing up on old old you know records of that i love i still love motown so he, he lent me um, a Louis Armstrong live CD, live 1956. Um, I think it was in Berlin. And with Danny Ocean on drums and, and, and Barney Begard. And, and so he lent me that. And then he also lent me a Harry Connick Jr. record called Blue Light, Red Light. And they, that was it for me, man. Those two records, I went, wait a minute. There's something. That music just blew me away. There was so much soul, so much passion, so much... Uh, everything we're talking about, so much spirituality and what they were doing. And Louis Armstrong, I just, I could not get enough. And it was, I went to the library and, and stole everything they had from there, you know, and just took every single recording constantly would be signing them out. And then I just started, you know, buying. Um, and then the, that's the exploration, you know. So it started for me with the New Orleans, New Orleans sound, big band sound that was, you know, Harry's inspired by New Orleans and inspired by Sinatra and, um, I loved his writing. I loved his singing. I loved his arranging. And that's what got me, um, uh, you know, wanting to sing and wanting to, to arrange for big band and to write for big band. I love Leroy Jones on trumpet and, uh, and he's a, a friend of mine now and he's, he's just unreal. He is unreal. And I loved Roger Ingram uh, playing lead as a, as a young trumpet player, they blew my mind and they still do. And so I, I you know, that, that set that path for me going into, um, junior high school and playing piano all this time that set me into 
you know, wanting to play trumpet and, uh, and to sing. And then, you know, then it was just, you know, the constant uh, grind of, of youth, um, all the other things going on when you're young that distract you, um, sports and, and girls and, you know, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> so I just started to, yeah, just to listen. And I was the weird one because I'd be showing up, you know, for school and I'd be listening to Glenn Miller because that was new to me. I'd never heard Glenn Miller. And I'm listening to Glenn Miller recordings and I'm listening to Benny Goodman recordings and I'm, and I'm falling in love with music from the swing era and Duke Ellington and Count Basie and all of the greats, all the icons and, you know, Chick Webb and then even um, Fletcher Henderson and, and, you know, starting to hear Big Spider back. And so I kind of started with that really early traditional jazz and swing era where I was into Sidney Bechet and, and I was into um, uh, Louis Armstrong to no end, like to no end. So I'd be driving up to, to, to high school, um, you know, and I'd open my door and everyone's listening to uh, lyrics, I think that would make, uh, almost make Snoop Dogg blush in some of their music. And I'm listening to some of the greatest music, in, in my opinion, that's ever been written. And I just, and so I fell in love with the standards and jazz standards and romanticism. I loved the beauty in it and the art in it and it just it just continued still to this day continues to speak to me and and did then um and then i'd go to football practice and then i'd go to band practice and then i'd go i'd, I'd pretend at football that i wasn't at band practice and i'd pretend at band practice i wasn't at football and you know playing the high school game and uh but the truth is i i already had my eyes set forward i was no longer in my mind in high school or in that I was in university, I was surrounded by people who loved music and teachers that were teaching me music. I, I went to university and started in as a classical player, um, transferred to the jazz program right away and started studying with, actually had them bring them in, bring him in for me because it was the right person for me. And uh, he's still like my musical dad um, and he's one of my best friends. But when I was 16 and in high school, I heard this trumpet player named Al Muirhead. And if you, if you, if you haven't checked out his records, you have to, because he only started recording at the, I think, uh, at the young age of 79. Uh, six years ago, he started recording. And he um, put out his first record. Uh, and he'd been on a lot of records, but he was a working musician. And so I heard him play uh, in the mountains in a Fairmont hotel. And I would go down, drive down. It's about an hour from, from here. And I'd drive down. And I'd sit in the front row and I'd order a Coke in a restaurant where it's like 150 bucks for a, for a, a steak um, hors d'oeuvre. And so the, and the waiter, I remember the first time the, the waiter came over and, you know, was, they were going to get me out of there. And Al walked off because he knew I was a young musician and he walked off the stage and he said, no, no, he can sit there. And so I sat there all night long sipping a Coke with, you know, with a friend and just listening to Al Muirhead play the most beautiful melodies and trumpet I've ever heard especially because I heard Clifford Brown. And the first time I heard Clifford Brown, it was on a CD someone gave me and I didn't know who, who it was. I didn't know who the player was. It took me a long time to find it. But I heard a recording of this trumpet player with strings playing Stardust. And I remember sitting in my room at night, you know, uh, with the CD player on repeat, listening to this trumpeter whom I didn't know playing over and over with, you know, with just with tears in my eyes of joy and beauty, just, for hours, just completely engaged in his playing. I'd never heard anything like that. And I thought, 
you know, the prayer was, if I could just do half of what he does in this, I'd be happy. And when I heard Al, the first time I heard Al, uh, he played with that beauty. And so that was who I wanted to study. Um, I had the university bring him in and I studied with, uh, which was very nice of them, like I say, to bring them in and did the, the typical university experience. We do classical stuff, jazz degree. Uh, then I went down to New Orleans because of my love of, of uh, uh, the New Orleanian sound, you know, and, and uh, second line music and New Orleans funk and especially New Orleans piano players. They just, I just, I'm just, I could sit and listen forever, endlessly to, to the Dr. John, Professor Longhair style of piano playing, you know, which, which I probably fell in love to too, listening to Harry Connick Jr. So I went down and I met all these incredible musicians and uh, I got to meet Ellis Marcellus for the first time. And I wanted to do a master's degree, uh, but it was very expensive. I couldn't, I couldn't afford to, to, to do it, I don't think. And, um, but I did a, the audition and I, I, was, I got accepted and I was going to start. But then I came back to Canada and I started uh, after a while and I started to, I recorded my first record, started my first quartet, and then just started getting out, getting experience. And since then, I've continued to study with people, but it's always been searching someone out you know, online or when I'm traveling and going, this is a person that I absolutely adore, you know, and I'll just say that, like, you're, you're amazing. And these are the things why, these are the reasons why I think you're amazing. Can you, can you help me understand how you're so amazing? You know, <laughs> and what I found is in music, people are just beautiful souls. And so, especially if you're, you're earnestly wanting to learn, they, they earnestly want you to learn. And so I've been fortunate to have mentors and, and hopefully I do that for whenever anyone asks that of me. But, but I think one of my favorites for that, um, I've studied, studied with a lot of great trumpeters and a lot of great names that we know. And, but uh, there was a trumpet player named Lori Frank who uh, taught in New York and came from the Caruso method and developed her own. And, and she was instrumental in really opening up technically a, a playing ability for me when I was still struggling with the instrument, even years after university. You know, the other person that just always stays in with me is, uh, we got to perform with Maria Schneider with the Calgary Jazz Orchestra that I direct. And, and then I studied with her for a period and she's a, just an absolute genius. Uh, she, her understanding uh, of the lineage, the language, the history and the techniques to make that, those sounds is, uh, I've, I've, I've never met anyone that understood it quite like her. And she, uh, long story short, waved her magic wand through a series of incredible sessions and brought together a lot of things that I think I was struggling with as a composer and as an arranger and as an orchestrator, uh, especially all the different information. And she just, she, for me, was definitely a, like a keystone. So everything made sense after, you know, all, everything I'd been studying and things that I thought were maybe contradictory suddenly made sense. And uh, loving her music for years and still do, of course. That was also a very integral thing for me, you know, to, to learn. So, You mentioned one of your own personality traits when you were younger, that you were quiet and contemplative. Is that still true of you today in 2021? 100% yes and 100% no. And I think music taught me that. I am an introvert completely. And the first time I went on stage ever, was a small gig, maybe a hundred people at, at the jazz club in, in the city, but I was terrified. And, you know, so terrified that my body became a big 
stick of tension. And uh, man, you don't sing very well like that. You don't play very well like that. So, you know, through through the years, I've learned, and, and I've worked with some some people, some acts that were incredible at at shtick. You know, they had a they had a character that they portrayed on stage. They had a and they had maybe even written jokes that they would do every night. Um, and we would tour and you'd hear the same jokes and see the same character and offstage, the person would be completely different because they were selling a show and they were amazing at it. And that wasn't me. I was never wired that way. So I just started to, there's a friend of mine that we used to meet a lot in, uh, on, on tour. Like we'd be, at this, be crossing tours and we'd be in the same cities and he'd come sit in with us. I'd always go sit in with him. Uh, Michael Casehammer, and he's a piano and a, like a like a boogie woogie style piano player, and great guy. And he was always so casual. You know, Michael Casehammer is so casual and natural on stage. And I went, yeah, I'll just I'll just start doing that. And then I just started feeling very comfortable in a room of of a hundred, five thousand people, whatever, because I'm just going to be me. And if you're just you, goes back to that thing. We're just a bunch of people in a room, as as much as the. When, when you get to do those huge stages and the huge show, uh, the huge lights and production and cameras, and it, it's amazing. And especially dancers. I love dancers. When there's dancers and you're, 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 you know, the production is massive. It's really fun when it's just a quartet or a duo and you're in a, in a room of a hundred or a couple hundred people or a quintet. That is amazing fun. It's all, and it, I realized it was just all the same. You know, it's just, it's all the same. We're just people. And that's when I finally was completely comfortable being, being outspoken, being, uh, being on stage, being seen, but at the same time, just being quiet and contemplative. Let's focus on the trumpet for a moment. Thinking about your own introvertedness, your personality traits. What are some of those that you think come out through your trumpet playing? Well, I mean, there's a negative and a positive to that. The great thing is I, I don't I don't teach a lot, but I do love teaching. And I might do maybe two or three students, you know, at a time. Um, and and I quite enjoy it. The great thing is, is I see the negative that that affects in people as well, like in any green instrument or singing. But with trumpet, you can't you have to fully commit from note one or the air cut off. Just it, your sound just um, becomes weak and then it becomes hard to keep in tune. And you try to use the muscles too much. Technically, it just goes sour. The, the negative side was I had to learn to get past that so that I could play the music that I heard, um, you know, my heroes play. But the thing that I really love about Quiet and Contemplative is writing songs and approaching playing the trumpet in a way that can be a whisper, that can be a silver tone or an airy tone, uh, that can be something that pulls you in, something that Chet was quite good at. Um, you know, just a master of of the smallest nuance, you know, of the of the warmest, smallest nuance. And well, the the, the latest record, Baker's Dozen. My I think my favorite track in this in this style for that is uh, this time the dreams on me. And um, my piano player on that, Chris Andrew, and I talked about you know what kind of thing we were going to do for it. And this slow stride idea came up, and. Uh, it's, it's, you know, as, as a piano player, you know, that's difficult for a piano player to hold. And uh, he did it. He's, an, he's amazing at it. He's a very musical guy. And yeah, 
it just comes out. It, it, it's an air, it's an emotion. And then it's a thought that I can go into really quickly because it feels very home-based to me. And I feel very comfortable when you're doing it. And I almost feel, you know, there's, as you know, there's some shows that when you're doing them and you're performing live, uh, doing something with a gospel feel won't work. And, or doing something with something that's very quiet and very soft won't work for that room for that night. And, and I always feel a little let down personally if I don't get to explore those aspects, you know, musically. At this point, I'm probably a little bit better. But it used to be that I would, I, you know, I always wanted in. But, um, and then I, I think I did do a recording of Stardust with Tommy Banks that, uh, that I sang, uh, but I played a trumpet solo in the middle. And I think that it, it's just like, like you were saying, Jay, when you're on stage, you are yourself. And that's really what people want to know. Then who are you, you know, and, and what is your music? Um, and I think that that's where a big part of myself comes out in my playing and is, is when I do get to do things that are soft and swinging or soft and very introverted. When you're on stage and you're looking out at this audience, what do you see? I really like people. When I see an audience and I'm on stage, I see an opportunity to show them music through my eyes as best I can. Show them what music and all of my heroes and inspirations and, and fellow musicians have taught me and shown me and done for me. You know, when you put on a record of, oh man, Frank Sinatra singing We Small Hours from, from the record We Small Hours or, or Chet Baker on Alone Together or uh, you mean there's so many like that. Like when you listen to Ben Webster, when you listen to Lester Young, you listen and they, they pull you, they move you or you listen to Lewis and it excites you or you listen to you know, Terrence Blanchard, he's so fiery and you, know, and you listen to Dizzy or you listen to they've moved me so much at so many different times in my life uh, in every emotional context that I've been in an emotional state that I've been in. So I, I don't know, I see an audience and I just go, I want to go on a journey absolutely with these people. And I want them to see the music through my eyes and see, I want them to see the beauty. Um, you know, most, most of what I play when we're touring and performing live is, is jazz music. So I want them to, I want them to see what I love about this music and as much as I do, you know, as best as I can bring. And when that happens, when you see a smile, my gosh, the first time I ever made someone cry, well, the music made someone cry. Um, I just started crying. Well, you're not crying. I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm not crying. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was one of the most soulful experiences that I'd ever had. Um, I wrote a piece of music called uh, Sweet Jubilation, which we recorded and, and released, which follows the Christian story. And we played uh, a piece live um, before we did the full um, thing. We played a piece, one, just one of the pieces live. And, uh, and there were people crying and they wanted, they were crying at the end of the, we did it at the end of the night. And then they wanted to come up and not say hi. They wanted to hug me. And, and they were still crying. And that, um, <laughs> now I'm going to cry. That's one of the, uh, the most like powerful, that is one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced in my life. When you connect with people over music and 
you know, when you write music and when you play music, it's not, it, once you write it, it's not, it's not mine anymore. It's just something that it's a vehicle I use to, to communicate with people and to express with people. Um, and when they take it and it becomes part of their own, just like we take standards or, or, or hymns, like we were talking about earlier that we love, um, you know, when, where, or when becomes a song that is now mine, you know, it's not Gershwin, it's mine. Um, because it's a vehicle of expression that I can use to reach people. And then it becomes theirs and the recordings that we love for as much as I love incredible technique and all the things that we can do with it. It's when you reach those levels that, that touch people. And I see that audience and I see them smiling and I see them vibrating and I see them uh, elated. I see them hopeful. That's the best thing for me. Um, that's really the, the best thing that music has given me, you know, is, is just continually connecting with other musicians or other people sorry, and musicians. And you, you were hitting at this in your explanation a moment ago. I tell you what I love to do during my concerts. I will generally start off with a barn burner, like what a day this has been. What a rare mood, you know, something that has pep. But then by the end, I'll get to a ballad or something. And there's a Chet Baker song, which uh, I always like to treat as a ballad. Some people have done it as a driving, with a driving beat. I like this as a sappy, sentimental ballad. Everything Happens to Me from uh, Matt Dennis and Tom Adair. I make a date for golf, and you can bet your life it rains. And I'll sit there at the piano, maybe not even, I may not even put the song in time. I might just comp a chord. But I tell you what I do, and in the pandemic, it's been so tough because I've only had a few in-person gigs, not many. A lot of it's been over the computer. But I love it when I'm in a room, and you know, at the beginning of the concert, people are excited. They're talking to each other. They're shuffling around, and then you, you bring it down. And I'll bring in that ballad toward the end, and I'll just kind of roll out an E-flat 7 chord or something, and I'll just sit and I'll listen and people are just spellbound because they're thinking, where is the music going to go next? And there are some people, I, I don't know, Johnny. I tell you what I've realized more and more. I think I used to like to dazzle a little bit, show off. You know, let me show you what I can do. Let me show you all the tricks I can do. But I tell you what I found playing for audiences. I can still do a lot of the more elaborate things, but the thing I think that connects best is when you focus on the story. You focus on the words of the song, and sometimes even if the words are not even spoken, just hearing that melody and using the space around it, it can just... There aren't even really words to describe it. And... uh those are the experiences I cherish the most. When you have the audience so attracted and so linked with the music that you could hear a pin drop from the silence. And uh, you're right. I think, I think, yes, we can call ourselves artists and musicians and performers, but the word that you use, a vehicle through which we deliver the music. And uh, there's a reason this stuff is timeless. Well, I tell you, Jay, you're, you're in my head a hundred percent. You just put it, you said it, you said it eloquently and beautifully. I love it. But a hundred percent, everything you said, I agree with. And there was a time when it was about, look what I can do. 
I think that's normal. I think that's a normal human thing, you know, and, and then you start going, okay, there's, there's more out there and there's more to life than, than that. And then we, we make that decision if we, especially if we're lucky enough maybe to experience it from somebody else when it's modeled for us. But there's nothing like holding the audience and taking care of them for, for an entire show. Whether it's exuberant and we're, we're doing a barn burner, we're blowing the roof off the joint, uh, or we're being incredibly soft and delicate. And I think in our inexperience, we think that everybody wants the barn burn at, on every song. And I remember once going to see someone whom I love, who's an incredible player, and the first number knocked our socks off. We were blown away. It was unbelievable. I'm like, this is going to be great. And then the next number, same thing. And then the next number, same thing. And by the fourth song, it's the same. They're telling the same story. It's impressive now. Now it's just impressive. It's no longer, you know, I, I, want, I want a different part of the story. And I, <laughs> my wife uh, can attest, I will stew over the perfect set list. And I will sit in my, uh, in my this, this is my office here. My computer's over there. And um, my rehearsal hall, my studio is, is next to me here. Um, and this is where I rehearse the big band and everything. And we'll, we'll finish a rehearsal. And it's at 9.30. Show's in four days. And I'll walk into here and sit down because there's something missing in the show. We need, we need this or we need this. We need something, and there's something missing. And I'll, I'll, if it's a themed show, I'll look at Ellington's music. I'll look at something, and I'll go, and I'll, and then I'll start writing. I'll start dreaming because that's my favorite Ellington quotation. This isn't playing. This is dreaming. And I'll close my eyes and I'll start dreaming. And then I will sit down and play horn or sing or piano, and then and then go straight to uh, to the computer. I use Finale, but I'll go straight to Finale and and start orchestrating. Um, skip the sketching part because I don't have time. And um, because I stew over creating those moments in a show, like it needs to, I, I want something that ticks all the boxes. But I, I like having an audience right there in the hand and just keeping them comfortable and, and, and having fun with them the whole time and letting them relax and unwind. And yeah. I'd love to think of it as a conversation, you know, like, there's a conversation with you and the bandmates and the ensemble on the stage, right? And most of my work is with senior communities. And it runs the gamut as far as responses. I, I can do, Johnny, the same show, and I can do it five days in a row for different communities. And I'm going to get five different responses from each of those programs. But the constant is this. I mentioned this during a lot of my Christmas shows, and I say, you know, you guys, not to boast or brag, but you might think that you're the ones getting a gift by having my come play, and it's an honor to do so. I said, but if I'm being selfish and being honest, I think the greatest gift is when I get to look out at that crowd. And, uh, you know, you're, I know you're all about people. I am too. And I'm going to tell you right now, Sometimes if I get on Stardust, I can't look at the crowd because I know that there's going to be some, you know, tear shed. Somebody's got to play the straight man. But I'll look out during my songs 
And this is why I don't like spotlights, because I can't see the audience. I, I hate it when I can't see the audience because something's missing. Everywhere you look in life, you know, you're going to find art somewhere. You can look at those pieces and you can admire them and you can study them, but they're not going to talk back to you, Johnny. And yet, when people come to see you, they can listen to you, they can watch you do your thing, but you know what the beauty of it is? They're a part of that whole experience because music is a two-way conversation. And I, I tell my listeners and my uh, attendees, I say, look, when I look out, I see you. Even if you don't say a word or sing, I watch your expressions and your movements. I don't know if it's the same for you, and I'm thinking it is, but I feed off that energy because if I'm not getting it from the crowd, if I'm not feeling that they're feeling what I'm feeling, I feel that my work is in vain. You ever have that feeling, you know, where you're just putting everything into it and it's just like nothing? 100%. Um, you, yeah, you're resonating everything. Everything I feel, man. You, I, I agree with you. The, um, there's a, a club I played that's called the Jazz Club. And, uh, and it's not. And people don't. It's not set up for one. It's not set up where the music is really forefront or center. But they market it as one. Which is fine. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's just like the, the music is the fourth thought in the room. And I find that difficult to perform in a room like that. Um, now, I don't mind. I cut my teeth growing up, you know, right after university, playing corporate parties. Because I could play anything I wanted to in the, you know, we could be on a stage or the corner or whatever. It didn't matter. Um, because the goal was to provide ambiance. Constantly, we would call tunes in different keys. My piano player, who knows thousands of songs, um, especially at that stage in my career, um, I didn't know enough songs. And he would call a song. I remember first saying, no, I'm not going to, uh, I don't want to play that because I don't know it, right? And then I'd say, you know what, just go ahead and then I'll figure it out. And I, so there was something that I did like, especially when I was younger, about the, the, you know, the contemplative, introverted me. Um, to play, cut my teeth, and essentially be paid to practice, but for these for those types of events. But um, one of my favorite things to do now is uh, I love doing big band work um, and and writing shows and putting on shows for that. And I'm the director for the Calgary Jazz Orchestra uh, for the last 17 years, and the CJO does a concert series, and we do theme shows and we do. Um, uh, based on musical style or based on artists and we'll play their arrangements for sure. If they have, you know, if they have them, but we also uh, will frequently do uh, and, and I'm kind of into, into this a lot sticking within what makes them sound like them. So really for me getting into study, Dave, when we did a Brubeck show studying really how does he voice on the piano? What rhythms does he use and what feeling and what, and how can I transfer that to make a big band sound like that? Not just write his tunes, you know, Blue Rondo for big band. I mean, but but to really, I find that really, um, to me, authentic. That's the way I like to do it. But And then when I look out, we play a, a, with the CJO. Uh, and I miss those shows. It's been a year since we've, we've performed one. And we did the spotlight thing, like you mentioned. And we had a spotlight, especially, I do a show every year called The Perfectly Frank Christmas, 
where we do a lot of Christmas music and Sinatra music. Um, and most of the Christmas music is, is I do, you know, custom orchestrations fresh every year. And a lot of the Sinatra stuff will do new arrangements. Um, and then of course we'll take stuff, you know, right from the estate. But I remember they, they did a spotlight for one of those one year. And I just, I asked them to shut it off halfway through the show because nothing felt right. I just could not, because in that particular venue we were in, I, like you mentioned, I could not see the audience. All I saw was this blinding, migraine-inducing, you know, thing in the back of my retina. And it's probably a little better if it's up above. But this one was unfortunately too far in front. And it, it just, I could not see the audience. And now I love to, to have a little bit of light in the audience. Because if you can't see the face and you don't see, man, I love it. If I, especially if I'm writing something and I'm writing for, I, I don't write for generic. I write for, you know, this group of players because I know them. And, you know, the charts will work with other groups, but I love writing specifically for players. And so if I'm writing something and one of my saxophone players and dear friends, Rich Harding, he, uh, he's on Sweet Jubilation and he's on my Christmas record uh, when it's Christmas time. He, um, he has so much soul. And when I write something that's specifically for his voice and, and then just try to just dress him musically in the orchestration, you know, behind him, and he stands up or he comes to the front of the stage and he just just ministers to us and just just lights the room on fire and just tear you know and and it's it's us it's not just the audience it's me it's the band and we get to play and to back him in that and I get to be a part of that um, or I get to write something for myself to play or sing in that situation but but boy when I get to look over at one of the players and I look out and I see someone in the audience staring at one of my musicians in rapture and in, in, in just pure joy and just with no facade, just everything, their, their heart is on their sleeve in their, and now for Canadians, that's, that's, that's a difficult thing for us to do where you have no idea what's really going on behind us. People, someone could be seethingly furious and be like, well, thank you, sir. You know, it's a very, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry um, about that. Yes. Yeah. I'm uh, making fun of it, but uh, of course, but the, it's, it's a very amazing thing to see the facades drop and to see people just emotionally wear themselves on the outside and to be a part of that. That is, that is the best thing in music for me. It's the best thing. One of my music ed professors would ask us this on the first day of class in our freshman year, and I'll ask you the same thing. Take the question for what you will. Why music? Music, I mean, the music industry, music business is difficult. And there are times where I think every musician thinks about maybe this shouldn't be my vocation. And then everything in your soul explodes at the thought of, of not having that connection. I think for me personally, of all the arts, music is the one that, that touches me the deepest. I love theater. I love live theater. You know, I love TV and movies and film like we all do. And I like, I actually really like sculpture, really like artwork. Um, I love architecture. There's a lot of things that I love that, that is, you know, within the arts. But the one that early on touched my soul, me personally, was music. Um, and learning to, and, and constantly being driven to, have the ability 
to express myself and my thoughts and what I see around me and to comment on the human condition uh, in its entirety, musically speaking, can be the most exciting and the most draining and the most amazing thing to me that I don't think I would get if my life was simply full of Netflix and paperwork and, you know, going to the, to a restaurant or, or for me personally, I couldn't um, just have that or, or not have that. Um, music is something definitely that gives me a, a clarity of thought and a definition of purpose and an, an ability of self-expression and of connection with people that I haven't experienced the same. I can go to a play and be completely moved by somebody's acting, by the writing, by the story or in a movie. Um, and I've been moved. I remember once when we were touring through Barcelona, staring at a Van Gogh painting that was part of his realism period, that, and it was a, a girl in a white dress. And there was just something about the painting. Um, I was there with Almir Head, actually. And uh, I sat there for hours because I was so enraptured by it. But like you mentioned, it's a conversation. And so to have that, that same feeling, but be able to, if I'm an attendee at a concert and to, to be waiting expectantly to what the musicians and singers are going to do and to hear it and be part of it and know that what just happened, um, the people I'm with and the people around me, we all get connected because we all feel that coming out and you'll see it in conversations and people outside of a theater. And, and that's why we want to talk after we don't want to, we don't want to be like, Oh, that was a fantastic evening. Thank you very much. And good night. Like that, that is, that's not what we do. And as musicians, we don't want to just instantly go back to the hotel room and go to sleep. So um, because there, that connection is still continuing. Um, so the connection, the conversation and the ability to express. And then I think, because it's worked for me, again, as a listener, for me to create something or to play something with a group of players for a, a group of people that allows them to organize their emotions or to focus um, their hope or to, to, to channel or to strengthen or to, to, to fill a reserve. I've gone to a show, I, I know we all have, I've gone to a show where I was tired. I had tickets, but I was tired. I did not want to go. I, you know, there's a million reasons why not to. Maybe I had a headache. I don't know, I was exhausted working too much. And then I go and I am elated and everything feels better and everything's better in life. And I just, and, and, uh, and I'm good now, you know, where it fills you up. And I'm not smart enough to know exactly what that is. I've read a million books of people uh, trying to figure that out too, but there's something that fills our soul from music that I can't get away from. Johnny Summers, our guest during in studio from Simply Timeless the album is called Baker's Dozen, and it's available from Seller Music. Our deepest thanks to Johnny for taking the time to visit with us, and a special thanks to you also for listening. Until next time, I'm Jade Daniels. Thanks for listening to In Studio from Simply Timeless.